It's now time for our scripture reading. We're a church who believes strongly in the importance of scripture and the value of studying it both together and individually. Today we're going to be reading from Revelation from three different chapters. The first one is chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. That starts on page 1301 in your Bible in the back of the pew. While you're digging around for your Bible, you might also see a little blue card that looks like this. It's called a Connect card. If this is your first time here and you want to get a little note from us, um, just touching base with you, basically, you can fill that out and put it in the offering plate later. Okay, let's read together, starting in chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Next we'll read chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Finally, chapter 22, verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. All right couple things I forgot to mention that are pretty neat. I mean, for one, a lot of you may already know, but uh, Butch and Kathy actually met in this church when we were meeting over in the fellowship hall back in the day, and, and, uh, and Butch was an usher, so Kathy saw him walk down that aisle and thought, boy, he'd be good at that. So, uh, then, uh, then they didn't get married in this church, as I mentioned, they were married at Highway Chapel, but... Um, but the pastor of this church performed the ceremony, Brother Mitchell. And then uh, Pat and Vicki, who provided the music today, provided the music on that day and sang that song that they sang. And so, neat. Uh, neat that we were able to celebrate that with them today. We come to the second part of, um, of a two-part little mini-series within the series, I guess, huh? Uh, we've been talking about this series, Me and God Are Like, and we've looked at a lot of different things that me and God are like from Scripture. Because we all have wrestled with the questions about God, and, and what our relationship with God is like, and what is He like, and, and how can we even begin to fathom someone such as God. 
And so we've been wrestling with this primal question, who is God and what does he have to do with me? And to do that, we've turned to God's word that he's shared through a bunch of different people and a bunch of different ancient documents all found in what we call our Bibles. And in those pages, we find metaphor after metaphor after metaphor that God uses to describe himself and us and our relationship to one another. And so in our, in our discovery, in our search in our, for, knowledge, for knowledge, for understanding God, for understanding our relationship with God, we uh, are searching these metaphors and we're looking for truth. And not, there's not a one of them that, that completely explains the whole thing or else God would have just used one. <laughs> All right? But each one gives us a different glimpse into uh, what God's like in our relationship with Him. So, uh, if you've missed any of these messages, you can go back and look at them. Each one of them is kind of like a piece of the puzzle. And last week, we had our first week of talking about um, the church being like the bride, us being the bride, and, and God being like the groom. And just discovering what that's like. And I gave a little, we kind of did the Old Testament thing last week and this week we kind of do the New Testament thing because they treat this metaphor differently but they both use it. Um, but I kind of gave a disclaimer this week and in case, you know, for the fellows who weren't here last week, just to give the disclaimer again that as guys, this one can be a little uncomfortable, right? <laughs> We're not used to being talked about as a bride. <laughs> so when you start talking about, you know, hey, you're going to be a bride, some guys might take offense to that, you know. Uh, but just a, just a reminder that, you know, that one, this is a metaphor, it's not something literal. God doesn't think you're girly or anything like that. <laughs> it's just, and, and for two, we, because we are men, we gain a, a unique perspective, as I think we'll see by the end of this message, that we can understand something about how God feels towards the church that uh, is unique to grooms. And so... Um, we have that to look forward to today. So don't get too caught up in, hey, is God calling me a girl? <laughs> All right? Don't get too caught up in that. Well, my own wedding took place over seven years ago now. But I remember it well, and, and I thought it was pretty well perfect, and I still do. I thought it was just a perfect day, I wouldn't have changed a thing. Julie, on the other hand, would change some things, because you know what happened since... Seven and a half years ago, Pinterest came out. <laughs> All right? And if you have any knowledge of Pinterest, uh, if you don't have knowledge of Pinterest, count yourself blessed. Uh, but if you, you know, for the guys in this room whose wives are on Pinterest, you know what I'm talking about. They discover things, they do things to our homes. Most of it looks good and is for the better. <laughs> but anyhow, since Pinterest has come out, I'm sure there's some things Julie would want to do different and better that she didn't know about back then because there was no Pinterest. And I figure we saved some money because there was no Pinterest. So uh, anyhow, I also remember about that day that I was a wreck. Alright, and it seems to be a common thing. Most of the grooms that I've been associated with a lot of weddings by this time, you know, you go through that season out of college where all your friends are having weddings and you're in all those deals and all, all that stuff's going on. You see a lot of weddings and I've seen a lot of grooms and most of them are wrecks. Alright, most of us, we get even the ones that try to look calm, cool and collected, uh, it ain't good. And so I tried to look calm, cool and collected, but... Before our ceremony, we 
had this uh, photo shoot. I know it's against the rules, you know, you're not supposed to see each other, but uh, we did some special photos where we were first seeing each other and all that. But we met out at this garden uh, in, in Oklahoma City, a beautiful place, and, and took some pictures. And uh, while we were there, you know, I just, I showed up, I got there on time, like I was supposed to. And I went out there and I waited like I was supposed to. And we did our whole photo shoot. It probably took an hour or so. And I come back to the parking lot. There's my car where I parked it with the door wide open. (laughs) I just parked my car and I walked out of my car. And you know, ever since you were old enough to close your car door, you've been closing your car door every time you get, I mean, it's automatic. But I was such a wreck that day. I didn't even, I just walked away from my car, left it wide open. Thankfully, no one took off with my car or my stuff. (laughs) Just, I was a wreck. So, oh, what a mess. So probably, you know, if you were a groom, then you probably were a wreck in some way, shape, or form too. Uh, If you or in any kind of a, a wedding before you know it's a big to-do. There's a lot of stuff that goes on. It costs a lot, right? And it, and it costs not only a lot of money, but a lot of time and effort. A lot of work goes into it. And probably most people from the outside looking in would think we were crazy to spend all the money and the work that we do on weddings. But for us, it's worth it. It's what every little girl dreams about, and it's what every daddy dreads, right? It's, uh, it's a big deal. It's a beautiful thing. I think it's one of the most beautiful things that we do as humans, is this ceremony of marriage, weddings. But before you can have the wedding, there's a couple of things that have to happen. And I'm not talking about cake and all that stuff. There's a couple of fundamental things that have to happen before you can have a wedding. And the same goes for the ultimate wedding that we're going to talk about today. There's a couple of things that have to happen first. So let's dive in together and take a look at Scripture. We read a passage from Revelation, and we'll get to that. But the New Testament is kind of has this metaphor sprinkled throughout. And last week we looked at the Old Testament version of this metaphor, which had a lot to do with unfaithfulness. And it was God's prophets saying to God's people, you know, you were like my bride. And I promised to be faithful to you, and you promised to be faithful to me, but you have broken your vows in the worst of ways. And when you've gone and worshipped other idols... When you've rejected my way of life for doing life your way. When you failed to give me the credit that I deserved and instead chased after all the things that the nations chase after. You were in fact committing adultery. And you've broken my heart and you've incurred my jealous love and my jealous wrath. And there's going to be consequences for this. And in fact, the the prophets, the ones like Hosea that we looked at last week, Hosea actually lived out this prophecy. He married a a prostitute, basically. A woman who was sure to fail him, to betray him, and she did. And he set her aside, broke up with her, and then God said, go back to her. Because I dream of a day. When I'm going to be reconciled to my people. And there's going to be a people who are as faithful to me as I am to them. And so this is hundreds of years before Jesus. That God, he 
basically prophesies about his wrath. Here's what's going to happen and here's why because you've been so unfaithful to me. Then we know from history that God's people were exiled, sent from the land he had given them. Ripped their whole culture, their everything, ripped apart the temple, which was the center of their worship and where the sacrifices took place and their whole religious system based on that place, that holy, sacred place. It was torn down, destroyed. Their nation, torn apart. Now, decades later, they would come back a remnant would return and, and begin to rebuild. And there's the final books of our Old Testament. Kind of talk about that. And, but even then, even the last prophet, some 400 years before Jesus, talked about how things still weren't right. God's people still weren't being the faithful people that God sought for. But there was also still hope. And so we fast forward to our our New Testaments that tell us about Jesus and the launch of the church and all these different manuscripts. And and we read in each of the Gospels that tell us about Jesus, one of the first things that we read about is there's a prophet who comes. He's the first prophet of Israel in 400 years. In a way, God had been silent and God's people were wondering what was going on and along comes John the Baptist and he declares and teaches repentance and he says he's come to prepare the way for a greater one the promised one the hope of God's people and one day John the Baptist was doing his thing if you've read about him uh, that meant hanging out by the riverside preaching, teaching, baptizing people And some of John's disciples came to him and they said, John, that that guy you baptized the other day, now he's downriver and he's baptizing people and everybody's going to him. What's going on? And John the Baptist has this to say. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And that joy is mine. And it is now complete. He must become greater. And I must become less. John the Baptist. His disciples come to him and say, Hey, you know, we're getting some competition from this guy you know, that you were telling us about. And John says, Yeah, it's the bride belongs to the groom. I'm not the groom. I've told you that straightforward. He's the groom. I'm the friend. I'm the best man. I'm the guy that gets to stand there and watch and the joy is mine. But he's the groom. And the bride belongs to him. Later, John's disciples, some of the the ones that stuck with him, you know, they had their questions and their problems and their issues with Jesus and they'd come to him from time to time and and quiz him about some things. and, And they came to him again and they said... Jesus, why is it that you know we, John the Baptist disciples, we fast? The Pharisees, they fast. Y'all don't fast. I'm sure they said y'all. Uh, you know. <laughs> and uh, Jesus answered them then, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. So 
John the Baptist refers to Jesus as the groom. And then those same disciples come again. And I don't know if it was the exact same ones. But some more disciples come again. And they ask Jesus why he doesn't fast. Why doesn't, you don't seem to be taking things as seriously as the rest of us now. And Jesus says, well, right now the groom's here. And we're going to celebrate. And we're going to have, basically we're going to party for now. <laughs> All right. But there's going to be a time where the groom's taken away for a while. And then there will be a time for fasting. So Jesus refers to himself as a groom. Fast forward towards the end of Jesus' life and coming down to the closing moments where Jesus is betrayed and, and he's crucified. And just before that, he tells a series of parables. And the first one was about a wedding. And he talked about these bridesmaids that were awaiting a wedding celebration. And some of them, you know, it took longer for the groom to show up. Back then, the groom would get things ready, and then he'd come to get his bride, and the celebration would begin. Well, it took this groom a long time. I don't know if he was building a really big house or what he was doing, but it took longer than they were expecting. And so some of them, when he returned, were ready. Some of them weren't. But for the ones that were ready, they went off to a great celebration. A wedding feast. And again, Jesus describing himself through a parable as the groom who would return. And it may take longer than you expect, but I will return and be ready for my return. It's going to be a great celebration, like a glorious wedding day. So then Jesus is crucified and he, he dies. He's buried. He's raised again to life. He's witnessed to have been resurrected by hundreds of people. And then he ascends into heaven and sits at the right hand of, of God. And the Holy Spirit is sent on his disciples. And the church is born kind of Israel 2.0 in a way. And the church begins to spread this incredible movement. And we read about it in the book of Acts. And we read uh, letters from especially the Apostle Paul. As he wrote to churches that he founded. The great missionary apostle that went out into and spread the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. And he wrote to a church in Ephesus once. That, some words that included this metaphor. He was giving instruction on family relationships. And in fact, we went through this very passage in our last series on relationships. But we look at it again through a different light today. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. And as I read that, the whole bigger picture begins to come together. That whole thing from, you know, the begin when we what we looked at last week with the Old Testament, right, and the unfaithfulness, and how is this going to be made right, and how is it going? But God's hoping, and He's looking forward to a, a glorious wedding day when everything is set back to right again and he has a faithful people 
And then Jesus comes. And he's called the groom. And here Paul just kind of clarifies some things for us. Jesus, through his sacrifice, through his death and resurrection, through his word, he comes and he selects his bride. And he washes her clean. Purifies her. Holy and blameless. Selects her to be his bride. And then he goes to prepare a place for them to live as was the custom in weddings back then. And he says, I'll come back for you. You'll be my faithful people and I will be your God Fast forward then to the very final book of Scripture, the book that we call Revelation. It's an interesting book, has a lot of symbolism in it, a lot of, it's a, John called it a vision from God. And there's a lot that, uh, you know, I think God gives visions when words won't suffice, you know. And so there were things that John was shown that there weren't words for. So John did what he could to describe what he saw. And we have this incredible book. And and my favorite parts of it are the parts that give us glimpses of what's going on in heaven. Glimpses of what's going to come when Christ returns. And that's the passages that we read today had to do with when Christ returns. A glorious wedding day to look forward to. For instance, we read that the bride was given fine linen, bright and clean. Again, Christ cleansing, purifying his bride, preparing the church to be faithful. We also read this little passage here that says, Now the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order has passed away. That's what the wedding day looks like. That's the big day. The big moment. Christ returns to set things right. To put things as they ought to be. To call to himself and marry a bride who's going to be as faithful to him as he has been to her. It's a beautiful day. It's a day where the promises and the hopes of mankind and of God are met and realized. When there'll be no more pain. No more suffering. You know, if if your idea of what's going to happen in eternity is, is clouds and harps... And wings and fluffy stuff. Put that as far out of your mind as you can. This is about God restoring things. This is about a beautiful wedding day where he makes things right again. Remember in the garden where he he creates things and everything's perfect as it is. and, And he's their God and he's there present with them in the garden. And he walks with them. And they know no shame. And they're not trying to one-up each other. And they're not giving worship to created things just to God. And everything is working as it was intended to work. 
That's what we're looking forward to in the wedding day. A day, you know, maybe it won't be so different from this world as we think, but the difference will be that no longer are people messing up each other's lives. No longer are we taking the credit that's due only to God and trying to get, take it up for ourselves or, or to give it to created things that can't contain it. God alone receives the glory that is due and the rest of the world works as it was intended to work from the beginning. It's a new heaven and a new earth where things are restored and made right. That's a beautiful dream. That's the beautiful hope. It's what God has been dreaming about since the fall of mankind. You can read about it throughout scripture. He's been dreaming about a day like that. And he's been working step by step along the way to bring us to that day. And we live in the last times. We live in the days that precede that wedding day. When Christ returns. And we're joined with him. He says it'll be like a wedding. Now, since we live in the days leading up to the wedding, that means that there's work to be done. Getting ready for a wedding, like we mentioned earlier, is a, is a costly business. It costs a lot. It's a high price tag on a wedding. And it requires a lot of work. Now, I am talking about a wedding not just a marriage. I know you can go down to the justice of the peace and you can get married and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm talking about a wedding. A wedding is a celebration. A wedding is a big deal. A wedding involves people. A wedding involves fancy stuff. <laughs> a wedding is beautiful. And so therefore it costs something and it's a lot of work. And the amazing news is that in an unprecedented step, the groom has already paid for the wedding. The price has been paid, hasn't it? And it was a steep price, paid with his own blood. And he's doing his part of the work. And there's the Holy Spirit that he sent, lives in us and works in our hearts and in our lives and in the church to help us become more like the Bride of Christ. But there's still work to be done on our part as well. And the first thing that has to happen to be ready for the wedding day, if you want to fill in your blanks today, this is the time to get ready. The first thing that has to happen to be ready on wedding day is to live faithfully. I mean, think about it. When you're getting ready for a wedding, no one ever tells you, hey, now remember to be faithful. <laughs> All right? But it's the most essential part of getting married. Because if you can't get that one right, if you can't stay faithful to your fiancé up to the wedding day, then there ain't going to be a wedding. <laughs> All right? It ain't going to happen. The ring will be taken back. It'll be pawned or something. The gifts will be sent back. The caterer will be canceled. There's no wedding if you can't remain faithful. And so when it comes to this ultimate wedding that we look forward to with Christ one day, 
The first requirement to be ready on wedding day is to remain faithful to the groom, to Christ. As the church, we each are called to live faithfully, to make Jesus the subject of our lives, that we don't give our worship to money, just to Jesus, that we don't live for getting one up on the other guy, we live just for Jesus. That we don't live to impress people or to gain power. We just live for Jesus. We're faithful. We're not pursuing money and power and pleasure and romance and all the gods of this world. We're faithful to Jesus. And there's another thing that has to happen if you want to get married. You have to send out invitations. It's like I say, I mean, you, might, you can go do a, a justice of the peace or you can get on a boat and have the captain give you a, a, a wedding ceremony, you know, and he'll sign the papers. But that's not a wedding. A wedding is something that takes place. It's a celebration that takes place before God and man. There's witnesses involved. There's people who are special to your life, special to your spouse's life, that all have to gather and be present for the celebration. In Jesus' day, weddings were a great celebration that lasted for days. They celebrated. Family came into town, whatever needed to happen, and they celebrated. It was like a huge family reunion, you know. And still today, even though ours don't last for days usually, in a way they do. You've got the rehearsal and all that, and the rehearsal dinner, and the, all those things that go along with weddings. But you have to send out the invitations. And that's the thing, as we as the church, as the bride of Christ... One of our jobs is to send out invitations. And I don't know if you caught this in what we read from Revelation as Julie read that for us. But the very last verse that we read, this is at the end, the very last chapter of Revelation and therefore the last chapter of the Bible. As he begins to conclude and John's been talking about what's going to happen and he comes back to present but he's still using that metaphor, the bride and groom. And listen to, what he, listen to what he says. The Spirit and the Bride say come. And let him who hears say come. And whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. This invitation sending is not a job that is up to us alone. It says the Spirit is involved in the job too. But it is our job as we prepare for wedding day. First, we must live faithfully. Second, we must send out the invitation. We must get the word out. The groom has gone to prepare for us. And he wants as many of his people, as many of his creation, to be in that bridal party as is possible. And so we say with the Spirit, come.
the bride says, come. And that's the thing we have to remember that's so easy to forget sometimes. It's our nature to make things all about us. It's our nature individually and it's our nature in groups. And so the church has to remember generation after generation that our primary job is not only to live faithfully and enjoy our time with each other as we wait, await the return of the, of the king but, and the groom, but to send out invitations to get the word out to the people who don't yet know. You know, there's people in this world who've never heard the gospel. Supporting the ones who are trying to take it to them. Thankfully, our church supports a lot of missionary and a lot of missionary work. We partner with missionaries around this world. And that's a beautiful thing, but we also have our own responsibilities. Not just to send money, but to get the word out ourselves. And we live in a world that's increasingly unaware of the invitation. Especially our younger generations. More and more of them, higher and higher percentage of the generations my age and younger will never enter the doors of a church if things continue as they are now. And by not entering the doors of a church, they're likely to not hear the gospel unless you take it to them. Unless we take it to them. Unless we invite them. Unless we say, come. And so we need to keep our focus right as we prepare for that day. Wedding day. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. If you've been married before, can you think back to yours? You remember how much work it was? <laughs> you remember? Might even, the guys might remember what the price tag was. I don't know, <laughs> but maybe not, since the bride off, bride's family ends up paying. So the dads might remember how much how much their daughters' weddings cost. We are, God says, the bride. If you were a bride once upon a time, do you remember how you felt on that day? Were you a little anxious? Were you a little worried that everything wasn't going to go just so, maybe? Or was it stressful because someone ran late? <laughs> do you remember the emotion that you felt when you were standing behind the doors were closed and you were out in maybe the foyer of a church or something like that and standing, perhaps you were standing beside your father and you were waiting for the processional to start and the doors to swing open. You remember what you felt like? And you stepped through that door and there was your man, your Prince Charming, standing up there at the front Maybe he was beaming back at you. Maybe he looked like he was about to pass out. 
<laughs> but there he was. And you slowly made your way up there and your hand was given to his and you said those words and it was a beautiful celebration. So much excitement, so much anxiety, so much anticipation goes into that day. And so it should be for us. Just as a bride I mean, maps out everything she has to do for wedding day and begins doing it months in advance. Just as a bride is so excited, has been anticipating this day since she was a little girl. Talking about getting married to daddy. So it should be for us. There is a glorious day coming. Nothing else will compare to it. Our whole lives lead up to that moment. And so we should have and experience the kind of emotions that a bride experiences awaiting her wedding day. And we should be just as busy about the work of being prepared for that wedding day. And then, amazing to me, is that Jesus chooses to be the groom. God chooses to be the groom, even though we have not been faithful as a people. Blows my mind. I mean, what we, what we talked about last week... How God told Hosea to go back to his unfaithful wife because this is what I'm going to do. Unbelievable. He has every right to take the ring of promise back. To end it. And instead, he chooses us. He gives his life to make us right. And he says, I'm the groom. Guys, if you got married once upon a time in this room, do you remember your wedding day at all? <laughs> Can you remember how you felt that day? As you stood up there at the front, you know, you come in with the, with the guys and you're up there with the wedding party and the doors are closed back there and you're awaiting the moment and your palms are all sweaty. And you're remembering, what did they tell me? Lock my knees or don't lock my knees? <laughs> How do I not pass out here? And those doors swing open in the back. And in steps the most beautiful woman. Just beaming with light in her eyes that somehow or another apparently you put there. And she makes her way to you. And her father hands her over to you. And you make these vows that you don't remember the next day because you were so nervous that it just all is a blur, right? And God says that's how he feels towards us. Does that not blow your mind? That God chooses to be the groom. And he speaks of this day with as much anticipation and excitement 
as we do. He's gone to prepare for that day, to prepare a place for us to be with Him for eternity. And in the meantime, He looks forward to that day when His people will be as faithful to Him as He has been. He's excited. He's looking forward to it. He's been awaiting a people and and just the scenes. Go and, and read the scenes of heaven in Revelation. Beautiful scenes. It looks a lot like the Garden of Eden is described. And what a beautiful setting for a wedding as we're presented to Christ someday. And the doors swing back and we see our Savior face to face. And He is excited. And we're excited. This is the Christian hope. This is what we look forward to. What a glorious day that will be. If you know that song, the old song, let's sing it together as we prepare to pray. Maybe even close your eyes, because I'm not going to put the words on the screen anyway. Sing this one. You can hum if you don't know the words, or you can sing them if you do. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face the one who Pray with me. Father, we look forward to this day. We thank you so much that even in our unfaithfulness, you were faithful and you loved us and you chose us. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. Help us to live faithful lives. Help us to get the word out, God, as we prepare for this beautiful day with you. Amen.